Thank you, Shah. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Bay. And what um, Bay started with, that song really speaks into what um, the word's going to bring out today, which is in Romans 2, chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. In a little while, Wenda's going to read that for us. But I want to start with a, a story, a true story. It was um, a guy we used to have in the church called Craig, and part of his salvation story uh, not from a church background not from a Christian background at all but a searcher he was really searching and was um, surfing the world got to South Africa and I think it was a place called Jeffrey's Bay and uh, he said he got up early one morning and um, and went down to the beach and what he saw was was this he saw some dolphins that were surfing the waves and they'd surf right in close to shore and then go out to the middle of the bay and out out deep again and then repeat it and he said um, as he looked at that he said to himself there has got to be a god and just seeing god's creation in action he just could not believe that that was an accident and so that was part of the of his search and so what that is called in the Bible, not in the Bible, but as the theologians have looked at that, they've uh, titled that sort of thing of, of seeing God's creation as general revelation. And they call it general revelation because everyone can see it. Everyone can see the stars, the moon, uh, the plants, the animals, uh, humanity. And so it's, God reveals himself in a very general sort of way. The, the problem is, though, that despite God's uh, general revelation of himself, humans have this habit of pushing that down, of ignoring that revelation and disobeying God, uh, pushing down that awareness of God, and then also at times taking it in strange directions. And uh, in particular, four kind of anti-isms, four anti-isms, despite God's re revealing of himself in a general way. So the four anti-isms are atheism, a blank refusal of God, pantheism, that promotes a belief that um, the universe is God and God is the universe. So denies the personality of God. That's called pantheism. Polytheism. The worship of many gods rather than the one true God. And deism. Deism is uh, the thinking that God created the world but then became disinterested and uninvolved in it as well. So it's like God the watchmaker. He just stands off to the side and is no longer involved in the world that he created. So atheism, pantheism, polytheism, deism. Atheism is fading as a cultural force. People believe, sociologists believe that there will be less atheists in the 21st century than there has been in the, in the previous century, in the 20th century. Uh, it's fading. Uh, pantheism and polytheism is gaining strength in the community. You think of a number of times people will say, the universe did this or the universe told me that. Uh, deism is a challenge to the church. 
it's sometimes it kind of comes forward in the belief that uh, believers exhibit uh, sort of a disinterest and disengagement in their own Christian faith. In chapter one, we saw some special revelation that God revealed himself through Jesus and the gospel, Jesus the rescuer. And despite these two types of revelation, general and special, people can sometimes choose to ignore God's revelation of himself. That's not good. In chapter two, we we see general and special revelation again. So Wenda's going to read that for us. Thanks, Wenda. That'll be great. Romans 2, verses 1 to 16. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. May the Lord add his blessing the reading of that word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wenda. What we have here in the scripture that Wenda just read, it's a thing called a diatribe. And what a diatribe is, it's an, uh, uh, an imaginary conversation um, with a person, imaginary person. So it's like uh, a conversation, but it's imaginary. So this is the way Paul's teaching uh, about God's judgment. So it's not to a, a, a 
a real person, but to an imaginary person, but as if they're there, but it is speaking to them and speaking to us today. And four things about God's judgment that this diatribe says to us. Number one, God's judgment is patient, verses four and five. And the point of that patience is that it should lead us to repentance. Judgment does come. It is coming. To a certain extent, it's already on its way. It's already with us. We saw that last week. But in the final day, it will be fully revealed. Judgment is not so much uh, decided on the last day, but it's revealed. The secrets, verse 16, of men's hearts will be revealed on the last day. We saw last week that God's wrath is seen by God's release. He releases humanity. He lets them go for it. We don't think of judgment like a court scene where arguments are put forward for and against and a decision finally made. It's more like a, a baby reveal party scene. You know, baby reveal parties, they happen, they happen these days where um, the parents know if it's a boy or girl, maybe the grandparents, maybe some of the very, very close friends, but people come and, woo, it's a boy, or woo, it's a girl. That's sort of what the scripture is saying, that even though it's kind of known, it'll be fully revealed on the last day. So God's judgment is patient, hoping that it will lead us to repentance. Secondly, God's judgment is fear, verses 5 to 11. It's fear because of God's general revelation and also his special revelation. He reveals himself in a very general way to everyone, but also in special ways. And, and general and special revelation, they're not, Competitors are compliments, they assist each other. It's like railway tracks. The special revelation we see here is the law, the Old Testament scripture revealed to Moses. Paul will later state and constantly affirms that we are not saved by good works. Chapter 3, verse 20. We are not declared by observing the law. Good works attest to our salvation. It's evidence. Good works does not attain our salvation. There's a general revelation of God's righteousness through God's creation. Yes, and we've seen that in chapter 1. But here there's another sort of general revelation in another way. It's conscience. Conscience. All humanity has this awareness of good and bad. We have consciences. There are However, and it's been noted, there are um, real cultural variations of this. When we lived in West Africa and learning the language, um, we, we kept on learning things. And one of the mistakes I was making early on is that I would say something that was highly offensive. It kind of worked in English, but culturally it didn't work. And um, part of where we're living in a very poor country, very area of the country is we'd be asked a lot every month I'd say I'd be asked by someone to take them back to my home country to, for them to live every week I'd be asked um, people would ask me for jobs and every day every day we'd be asked for food uh, money medicine every day and so we had to learn how to uh, how to deal with that 
And the way I was saying is I, I would say, I'm not going to give to you. And um, that was highly offensive, actually. And our friend who lived next door and worked for us sometimes, she said, Amadou, what they called me, Amadou, you cannot say that. You cannot say, I'm not going to, I'm not giving to you. You say, Miwawa Hokudema. I'm not able to give to you. To me, that sounded weird, but um, that's the way it had to be said. And it, <laughs> it showed itself really clearly one day when a, um, the lady next door, Ina, they called her auntie, who, who was a relation of our houseworker, she sent her son, so, and who was our houseworker's cousin, asking for onions. Our onions are hanged, hung down from the roof. We had a screen door, a mosquito screen door. He was outside looking through the mosquito screen door. The onions were hanging down, and then a houseworker um, was talking to him through the screen door. And he said, um, Do you people have onions? Uh, Do you have onions? And <clears throat> in between him and her were the onions. And she said, Uh uh. They're kept by. No, they do not have onions. <laughs> um, so there's cultural variations of what is right and wrong. True, that's granted. But the very aspect, the very existence of morality, that concept of right and wrong, speaks of God. Because if we were accidents of chance, we would not have a any idea of morality. There would be no even thinking of right and wrong. Verse 15. Um, we have consciences that affirm or convict us. Thoughts, our, our thoughts and actions, that concept of morality. And this is part of God's general revelation of who he is. There's a, a quite popular Māori song you hear at uh, Mihi's, Pōwhiri's, and it's this, e hara i te mea noa nai nei te aroha no ngā tūpuna tuku ihu tuku ihu. Um, it's not from now this thing called love. It has been handed down from the ancestors. So love has been around for a, a way, way long time, even before the missionaries came and the evangelists came. There's a, a Māori proverb also that says this, it's land and woman that causes men to die, which to do with uh, war. And so those that concept, those concepts of good and bad, uh, are there even before anyone else uh, came to Aotearoa, New Zealand. There was love, there was uh, lust, there was greed for land. So that is part of God's general revelation to all humanity it's there it's there in us even before the bible turns up in any country there's this general revelation of god through conscience i've uh, i had a i have a friend called tanya and she used to call herself an atheist at university and then one day she came to a youth thing with us and it was a multicultural event just the way it was and she walked into the room, and when she saw all those people, and they were happy together, different people from different races, she, uh, she said after, I know now that there is a God. 
uh, it was just that the aspect of this is good, this is good. Tim Keller, the uh, American church planter and pastor, says increasingly people with no background of Christian faith need a need an emotional apologetic before they're ready to engage in a cognitive apologetic. So that means is we need people um, not coming from a faith background will will feel something before they understand something. The feeling deep down that something is is right or wrong. And uh, it was shown also in the Australian movie, classic movie, The Castle, 1997. And the way they talked about it was the vibe, the vibe, uh, the general revelation of God. And in the castle, um, the powers that be are trying to take this um, house of this family. And in the castle, um, Daryl, the, the, the man of the house, husband, he goes to court with an incompetent lawyer. And the lawyer starts by saying that this goes against the constitution of Australia law. And when the judge says, what part of the constitution, he flicks through the constitution, but he doesn't know Roman numerals. So he says, um, it, well, it's, it's the vibe. It's the vibe. It's wrong to take someone's house like that. It's just the vibe. See, that, that is what it is. That's, that's conscience. I mean, something is just right. Something's just wrong. That's the vibe. So it's, general revelation is like the Bible, the law. Uh, um, and no, other way around. General revelation is like conscience. Is like conscience, it's like the vibe. And special revelation is like the Bible, the word of God. Uh, in this instance, um, Moses, when Moses was revealed, the word of God on Mount Sinai. So, God's judgment is patient, it's fair. And thirdly, God's judgment is universal. Verses 12 to 16. It's both for Jews and Gentiles, those with the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai and those without. Scholars debate as to what extent uh, chapter 2, 1 to 16 is aimed partially or totally at the Jews. You can decide that. But certainly by chapter 2, verse 17, the, the diatribe is clearly aimed at Jews. Verse 3 points to a behavior that psychologists now have a name for um, via Sigmund Freud. It's called projection. And projection, psychological project, projection, is this um, defense mechanism we, we all use to some extent where the human ego defends itself against unconscious impulses or qualities, positive and negative, by denying their existence in themselves by attributing, at the same time attributing it to others. So the scripture says this, why do you pass judgment on someone else and do the same thing? Why do you project that on them when you're actually doing it yourself? It's like, um, kids, kids, get off your phones. Why are you always on those screens? But God's judgment is, is patient, fair, universal. 
And God has revealed his righteousness required to all in both ways that are general and ways that are special, specific. And there is judgment for those that push down or push away that, that revelation. Judgment awaits or has already been experienced. But it will be fully revealed on the last day. And this is not popular thinking. It's not popular thinking to affirm what scripture repeatedly says, that God is holy and therefore and therefore does allow judgment to come on people. That's not popular. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called God in the Dock. And in God in the Dock, he says this, the ancient man used to approach God, or even the gods, as the, as, as the accused person, like they were the accused person and God was a judge. For the modern man, the roles are reversed. He is a judge, and God is in the dock. We have this habit of trying to put God in the dock. But the question is not, is God fair or not? Is God righteous or not? God is fair, and God is righteous, and sin will be punished. The question is not, has God forgotten or changed his mind? Some terrible behavior carries on. We see that, but God is patient, hoping for repentance. The question is not, will God judge people or not? God is already punishing. People are living under the wrath of God. God steps back and allows them to carry on with them. God takes off his hands. God's wrath has been seen often in God's release. And on that final day, things will not so much be judged. It's more like the judgment will be revealed. Things will be properly seen. God is, God's judgment is patient and fair and universal, both for the Jews and the Gentiles. But most importantly, most importantly, God's judgment is avoidable. God will, verse 6, God will repay each according to his deeds to those who by perseverance and doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. God's judgment is avoidable. His smile to us is so achievable. And so the real question, the most important is, the question is this. What is to be our response? What is to be our response? There cannot be passive agreement that tries to substitute in for action. People are not declared righteous due to correct doctrine. What is our response to God's general and special revelation? It's not to be deism or pantheism or polytheism or atheism or any sort of combination of that. It has to be, it has to be Jesusism. The offer of Jesus and the gospel and his special revelation of himself. Romans 3, 22 to 24. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now, no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus the law of the spirit and life sets you free from the law of sin and death. That is, that is our answer. God's judgment 
is avoidable through Jesus Christ, through accepting Jesus Christ. We're going to go into our breakout groups and uh, we can talk about that, about um, God's judgment being fair and patient and universal, but also that it's avoidable and what that means for us and what that means for those around us. Bless you.